rush to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well, which, let's be honest, we just lost to the Sixers. You're probably not doing well. Wayne Spoonie and Jake Eisenberg are here. Spoonie, how's it going, man? Welcome back. I I've got an unfortunate haircut and we're on a two game losing streak. So I could be better, I guess. <laughs> uh, amazing. Uh, Jake, a bittersweet loss for you, given the mistress at least is back in our lives. True. We good to have him back. He was a bright spot. I felt like despite the six for eight team. Yeah. It's always a good, good time in everyone's life when Derek White is back. Yeah. Got to, we got to search for those good vibes in the, in the rubble here. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, look, well, we're going to talk about the loss to the Sixers and whether or not any of the current issues are at risk of being long-term issues. We'll talk about Joe Mazzola's post-game stoush with Gary Washburn, also the upcoming in-season tournament. But first, the Celtics, they lose 103 to 106 to the Sixers after almost tying the game in the dying moments there. The Celtics did not shoot well for the second straight game and have now dropped two in a row. Spoonie, the inevitable mid-season adversity, coming a little early here. What, what are your thoughts on this one overall? I was a lot more frustrated with the Timberwolves loss than I was with this one, other than it was Philly. Mm. Um, I, I think like the defense played really well. I like that Joe mixed up the looks on Embiid. Like he obviously had a good game, but he didn't have like a dominant fifty piece. Um, and we made him uncomfortable at times. Um, and to me. They like the 32% from three does not actually tell the story of how poorly they shot the ball in this game because they made like three or four threes in those dying embers of like the last two and a half minutes. And that dragged their three point percentage up from like 27% to 32%. So it was a much worse shooting performance uh, than the numbers show. And I think many in Philly defend the exact same way. They have an absolute monster seven-footer that is an elite rim protector that doesn't leave the paint and dares you to make jump shots. And if you don't make jump shots, you're going to have a very long offensive night. And even though we didn't make shots, we shot under 40% from the floor. They still almost pulled some crazy Miami Heat magic out of a hat and won that game. So, like... There's positives to take away. I think there's frustrations to take away too. Yeah, the defense was excellent. And I felt like Maxi killed us a little bit like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, like mm-hmm. on those floaters, but he was 11 for 27. And right. if you if you keep Embiid under 30 points and Maxi to 11 for 27, then the job is done. I think long-term, the game plan against Philly is actually clear and defending them is relatively simple like outside of Embiid and Maxi there's not another guy on that roster that you're scared of when he's got the ball in their hands like at least when they had Harden there was another playmaker out there right now like obviously that there's catch and shoot guys with um Oubre and Covington and Batum but um you know as good as Oubre has been he's not a guy that you're really worried about like mm-hmm. across a series or anything like that so defensively if they have the ability to Kind of lock those guys down across the series, and don't forget this is this is this is the peak for Philly. Wednesday night, um, November. The, yeah, exactly. This is this is the peak uh, for for these guys. 
So this is kind of what they do. Um, and offensively, frustrating. Frustrating, absolutely. Because um, how many times can we sit here and say the issue was the offense again? Um, and, you know, if you go back and watch, I know, Spooty, you posted a good clip of the fourth quarter. I watched the third quarter today. It's not – it wasn't as bad as it felt at the time. Like, I, f- I forgot about the Porzingis just missed dunk. I just mm-hmm. – you know, there was like – True Holiday missed layups. There was a bunch of chippies. Um, and a lot of those wide, wide open threes that they have been making and typically do make. So it wasn't as bad as it felt in the moment when I went back and rewatched. Yeah. And even like in this case, uh, compared to the Wolves game, Porzingis got up the most shots of everyone in the team in the fourth quarter. Like we were at least going to him. Like when I was writing the run sheet, I was like, man, we didn't go to Porzingis again. What are we doing? But we, we totally went to him. Maybe not enough. Uh, especially throughout the course of the game. And in that second and third quarter is where we really, for the second game running as well, have seen that offensive stagnation where they went up, was it 29-22 to end the first quarter? They stretched that lead in the beginning of the second quarter. And then it's like they just became complacent and their their ownership, you know, psychologically speaking of the Sixers, they were just like, we've got this, we can just coast here. <laughs> The Sixers, yeah. they had the momentum behind them, the, the crowd behind them, they got back into it. And then despite our late quarter, late game efforts rather with the 2-1-2 press and, and taking the ball out of Maxi and Embiid's hands. We just, we'd put ourselves in such a shit position that we were never going to climb out of it. And we've seen two games in a row now where we, we just can't survive poor shooting against the team with an elite rim protector, whether it's Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid. I, I suppose one of the main differences, if you want to have a positive takeaway, is that Last year, we also could not survive those circumstances, but we were losing by double digits. And in each of these cases, you alluded to it earlier, Spoonie, like we're still somehow in a position to win these games. We were shooting like absolute ass and unable to get to the rim. So I don't know. I'm starting to, you know, I was saying to you guys before we recorded, right? Like if you're going to win 60 games, which would be an excellent outcome to the season, you've got to lose 22. And so as much as I've been going back and forth for the last 24 hours about like, Will we or won't we, won't we be in a position to win a, a championship? These are just early issues for a newly formed core that need to be ironed out. So disappointing, but I'm, I'm not like giving up on this team. Like if you look at NBA Twitter, a lot of fans have already. Yeah. And you know what, Jake, you're, you're muted, buddy. Go ahead. Sorry, I've got the flu. So I'm muting myself okay. um, to uh, spare the audience of some <laughs> gross noises. But um. <laughs> Everybody needs to relax. Like, you, you got to pace yourself. Like, this is 82-game season. This is game seven. And I understand that, that there's a PTSD element to the reactions that people are having. Um, but, like, you're going to miss shots in a playoff series and just lose the game. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the NBA. And a feeling like, you know, we've seen these guys underperform so many times. It's just that's the experience of basketball and watching the NBA is like your team is not going to play the same every single night. You're not going to make the same amount of shots every single night. Eric Weiss talking about shooting variants, like the the nature of the way that this sport is played, not to get too existential on everybody, but like it's you just can't have the expectation that they're going to play at this 60-game pace every game. As you said, Ben, they have to lose 22, let's say. Um, and so – on those nights, you know, not, the, the shots aren't going to go down. They have won multiple games this season where they've shot worse than their opponent, the Knicks and the Heat game. So they can do it. The difference is 
Embiid, especially early in the season right now where he's fresh versus a playoff series where he's like nicked up and tired. Um, Tatum's able to get downhill on Embiid a lot more like as series and as seasons go on. Um, speaking of Tatum, we should get to him as well because he is not devoid of blame. So yeah, I was, yeah, Jake, you're totally right. I don't care if Tatum, I don't care if you get blocked four times at the rim. You have to challenge Joel Embiid. You're going to get foul calls at some point. You at least have to keep him honest. Like he didn't even like look yeah. at the rim half the time. He, like he would get by the first defender and then he would almost like back it out sometimes. Like you just can't play that way. And he kind of did the same thing against Gobert, but his his jumper was falling against Minnie, so it didn't really matter as much. But like I just don't understand like if if we're going to blame anything for that loss it is like sort of the lackadaisical way in that they kind of went about it. Like there were so many 50-50 balls they just yeah. couldn't get their hands on. So many rebounds where it was just like juggled up and Philly came up with it. And they just didn't really seem up for it. And I think Tatum was probably the second worst with the lackadaisicalness. I, I don't... Did Jalen Brown yeah. think this was like a pickup game at the Y or something? Like, I don't know what Jalen Brown was doing because he was not in the game until the last two and a half minutes. But like those guys are the leaders. They are the tone setters. And if they come out and are scared to attack the rim, what do you think? Like Peyton yeah. Pritchard's going to attack? No. Peyton Pritchard drove harder than Jalen did. Half of <laughs> he at least had one hard drive. He kicked it to Al for an open three. Like you got to go at him. Like, just go at him. Who cares if you get blocked? Like, it's going to happen. You're also going to get fouled. You're also going to make some. He's not going to get over in time every single time. So that just like infuriates me that you're like letting the defense work without even pressuring it when you just like don't even try. So yeah, Tatum's got tons of blame. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we're in the playback stream screaming. If everyone watching, come watch the playback streams uh, and go through these emotions with us together. <laughs> like, Embiid camped out in like the free throw line and they like, you had to make pull up threes, right? We've spoken about that, but it felt like they were just not purposeful in getting to like really comfortable pull up threes. They were like getting, getting to them, but like the spacing felt like it was off. It just didn't feel like anyone was all like, no one understood what the six was doing. Um, and that's on everyone. That's Joe, uh, Tatum, the, the amount of pick and pops that they were running where like the pop was open, make the pass quickly. And some of the three point attempts, like were just you know, five to 10% more contested than they would have been if they're making these passes. Like, yeah, lackadaisical is not crisp enough. Um, they, yeah, that's like, they just weren't, it was obvious what the Sixers were doing for like the majority of the game. And it felt like they were letting them off the hook, um, just a tiny bit, every single possession. Yeah, and then compare that to that near comeback at the end of the game. I saw a couple of possessions, Horford and Tatum both doing this. They'd catch the ball facing the basket at the free throw line and then actually backpedal out and bring their defender oftentimes Embiid yeah. out with them. And just that little three-second action alone, bringing Embiid further away from the paint, was, we could run so much off of that. And obviously, you know, we scored a shitload of points in that that small period of time. And just the effort and the... The approach, the mental approach to, you know, approach Philly's defense in that way just makes so much more happen for the team. And in that second and third quarter stretch, they just weren't, they weren't thinking that way. They weren't executing that way. So we, we know they can do it. That's the most frustrating part. And I guess what's more frustrating is it just comes back to everything that we've found so frustrating about this team for the last two or three years. And you can 
you can trademark as smart and you know you can you can think you're getting rid of the the real problem areas in that sense but we've been saying this for years now like the the team is led by the jays and the excuse that you could make for them about their relative youth and how like it's tough for them to lead given how young they are like that is diminishing you know you know with every season that passes by and i just don't think even though tatum's only 25 we can really use that excuse anymore but you know they have to lead from the front and if there's a lackadaisical nature excuse me that is sort of permeating throughout the team they have to be the ones to pull us out of it and tatum in this game 21 percent usage rate that is yeah. far drastically lower than what we've seen from him sort of historically and at least so far this season. So frustrating, but I, I, I guess I don't, I need to not see it as a long-term problem. And yet from what <laughs> I've just said, it, it has been a long-term problem, um, but you hope that they've got the personnel and the approach this year to sort of recognize it early and, and, and move away from it. So let's run through the other problems with this game. And then I want to sort of circle back on what else might be a long-term problem or what hopefully we can write off as a short-term problem. So, Another issue in this game, sort of touched on it. We've got these two excellent, in theory, stretch bigs, Al Horford and Chris Tapps Porzingis, and yet we couldn't pull consistently Joel Embiid out of the DJ Daniel saying KP is the best player. We'll, we'll come back to that. Um, we couldn't pull consistently their bigs, namely Joel Embiid, out of the paint and open up scoring opportunities and lanes for our for our scorers. Spoonie, why do you think that is? Is it just because we just simply couldn't hit threes or is there more to it? And well, I I think definitely part of it is you just don't make threes and Philly's daring you, you like you bet hit you got to hit 42 percent and then we'll start bringing in beat up to the height of the screen. And then that's when you can get in behind them for cuts or just drive right by him. But also, I think Jake nailed it um, when he was saying like the pick and pop was there, but it's almost like we bailed Philly out and like would yeah. pick up the dribble, then turn then make the pass. And it's like, dude, where's that? Like Tatum used to hit those like yeah. behind the yes. back uh, passes to Horford on the pick and pop. Mm-hmm. And it would, he would be wide open every single, I don't think I saw one of those last night. And um, I mean, the fourth quarter, I actually, people were like hard on them in the fourth quarter. I actually thought the fourth quarter was probably their best quarter other than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first was really, they just got out in transition. We're getting yeah. turnovers and picking the ball off the rim and going, which is a, a, great way to attack Philly, which we did not do after that yeah. for the rest of the game for some reason. It works too well. Uh, no more. Yeah, right. right. Um, but, I, you know, I don't really blame Joe uh, because I don't think Joe is telling them, like, go slow. Don't pass it quick. Don't cut hard. You know what I mean? Like, he's telling them the opposite of that. And, like, ultimately, shot quality-wise – even though we're saying like all these negative things about how they played offensively, they still got a lot of really good shots they that they just so flat out looks. missed. Yeah. And so I I just think like, look, if we make three more threes, we're like, oh, suck it, Philly. Yeah, you know, dude. like what a comeback. So it's just like the nature of the game in some ways, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating. There was that third quarter where we were just like tied or down two to three for five minutes. And it was just clean look, clean look, missed dunk, bubbled ball. Like the game was there for us to be up 10 plus the whole time. And eventually it just was eventually Philly got loose. Like, like Maxi finally got loose and it was kind of too late at that point, even though they, they made a, they made a run at it. Yeah. Just not sharp enough. Just not nearly sharp enough when they needed to be in that third quarter. 
Yeah. yeah. Now look real quick, go ahead. Ben. Sure. Real quick, sorry, dude. If you're gonna blame Joe for anything, blame him for the beginning of the fourth quarter when Embiid wasn't out there and he didn't just trap Maxi yeah. every single time. Mm-hmm. Like just what are you doing letting him get downhill and ma- he made like four floaters yeah. in the lane? It's just just like trap him, make Paul Reed make a play. That's probably the main that and Porzingis sitting for like seven minutes in the middle yeah. of the fourth quarter yeah. was a weird call, but those <laughs> are the two things I think if you're going to blame Joe, those are the things I would I would, I would, would talk about. Yeah, I think that's fair. And the other thing is, because we've been celebrating the whole curveball thing on both sides of the ball and, and post-ups being a huge way for us to generate offense. And with those threes not going down and credit to the Philly defense, they were swarming Tatum or KP yeah. or Drew or Jalen. We'll get to Jalen, man. But anyone who was trying to post up and generate looks that way, rightfully so, Philly were like, you guys aren't hitting shit from out there. So we're just going to completely collapse on you, which just mitigated any other offensive alternative that we had. So total clusterfuck, total nightmare, especially if you hate the Sixers as much as myself and, and Aussie Phil here in the chat does. Um, just an absolute nightmare. So it's um, it's been a long you know, 24 hours or so <laughs> since that game. Um, someone called out in the chat here, um, why was Drew Holiday guarding Joel Embiid instead of KP. I mean, and I think we're talking about it in the playback, guys, but, you know, we didn't often stick Marcus Smart on Embiid or Biggs to to begin games. The thing that was celebrated about Smart was that he could switch on somewhat seamlessly to Biggs and, and hold his own. The difference here is that we're starting Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid. I think he did a pretty good job. Like 27 yeah, points did. from Embiid is a, a huge mitigation from his, you know, his regular output so far this season and historically and Drew's just got this low base. Um, Eric Weiss called him a tree stump, along with Derek White as well in a recent pod, which I think held up uh, as well as a tree stump can. Um, so, and then just the ability to switch off that. If there's a screen that involves Maxi, like Drew can seamlessly switch onto Maxi um, or, or navigate that screen as well. Um, so I, I think he's like a top candidate to to defend and beat in that scenario. Was that, I don't know, do you have any problems with that that side of the game plan, Jake? I still would have gone to Al in the starting lineup mm-hmm. and maybe in the, in the start of the fourth quarter just because I like Al's ability to, to be more sturdy than Drew as well and um, have KP in that roaming role. Like the people that are like, why is, not, why is pausing us not on Embiid? Foul trouble is going to be a problem when Embiid is, guarding, is going at pausing us and yeah. It's just, and that's fine. Like he can still be an impactful defender, which he was yesterday um, by sticking him on Tobias Harris. Like that was a, that was a good move, which we talked about on the prior episode. The defense was not the problem. Um, I think that was fine. I would have maybe have gone to the Horford uh, pausing his thing. But on the other hand, that five man group has been so good offensively that like, I understand just sticking with it because then your defense is still totally competent and capable playing and holding them, you know, under their averages. The problem was the offense wasn't nearly as good as it has been in the prior, even the T-Wolves, like T-Wolves game. They didn't have Derek White. Um, in all the other moments, the offense with those five guys on the court has been really good. Um, Pozinga's zero three-point attempts, I think, in the third quarter. Um, that's, you know, can't happen. Yeah, we got to count the, the number of times Jake's going to say, the defense wasn't the problem this season yeah. because it's going and, he, and he's right totally. every time it's going to be like 40 yeah. <laughs> at least. Yeah. Um, going to go crazy. Yeah, no, I, I had no, I thought Drew did a pretty damn good job. And I, and I like that when KP's in that Roma role, when MB turns to like spin off him, like KP's just there with his hands up contesting the shot. I mean, I don't 
think you can really complain about how they defended Embiid. Like he's that's five points other under his season average. Like that's just fine. And yeah, you're right. We just couldn't score. They scored 106 points. That's nothing. Nothing. Jeez Louise, man. Yeah, it's that's that's terrible. Great for our defensive rating, I suppose. Great for theirs too, given we only scored 103. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've rattled off, I guess, the, some of the key points as far as like why this game was lost. Just running through our, our list here before we circle back on on what we're worried might be a long term problem. We got to passive JT. We got to you know the issues not stretching with our with our shooting bigs there. Jalen Brown. First shot of the game, Oof. he gets a wide open like shot, like yeah. two paces in from the three point line, just a few back from the the free throw line. Just no from a, a position on the court where you don't typically, I think, practice shots from. He seemed like weirded out by that, and I think that just like muddled his vibes, for lack of a better term, <laughs> through the rest of the game. It's like he was just confounded by that look. Like, really, this is where you're giving up shots? He front rimmed it. And then he front rimmed basically every shot punch between then and the end of the fourth quarter where he went a little bit crazy there. Um, the reason that Jalen is put under such a microscope after performances like this is because of his contract. And I can't be bothered oh. going back on like the, the justification for that contract. Like if you follow the team, you know why we had to sign him for that money. So let's not get into it. But, you know, Jalen, if it, we're a slightly average Jalen Brown game away from winning this game, just as we were with Drew in Minnesota. So, I don't know, like, what's the biggest concern with Jalen's approach to this game? Is we just having an off night from a shooting perspective, Spoonie, or was there something more to his approach that worried you? I think, I mean, his, what was his approach? Yeah, that's Did he question. have an approach? Like, <laughs> look, he gets that question. wide open. <laughs> no, 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 you're, no, I, it's not at all. I, I'm just being facetious, but like, that mid-range jumper he got to open the game was there all day when Embiid is that deep. He shoots like 50% on that shot, but like he couldn't hold on to the ball long enough to get to that position for the rest of the game. Like, I mean, I get like the memes about Jalen's handle. It's, it's exaggerated how bad it is, but all the haters were right about his handle last night because that was a... <sighs> That was tough, dude. Like, I, I just, he just didn't seem like involved in the game or something. I don't know. I, Jake, do you, have, do you have an explanation? Cause I got nothing. <laughs> the handle actually itself isn't that bad. It's just like he puts himself in these spots yeah. where he's getting like, oh, the, where he go, he tries to dribble through the whole Philly team and he just like, it, you just, it's like watching a car crash. You're like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And Dude, then on the playback, we're all yeah. screaming, pass oh. it, pass it, pass it. We Pritchard's just literally just coming. wide open from the <laughs> second that Jalen catches the inbound pass. Pritchard's wide open towards the half court line. He just makes that simple pass. That whole possession is completely different. And who knows what happens after that. The, the, the problem with Jalen's approach is he tries to dig his way out of it as opposed to just letting the game flow and like, okay, let's just make an easy pass. Let's just stand in the corner. Let's offensive rebound. Let's go set a screen. Let's cut. He tries to fix it himself and, ins- and insert his will on the game. And he, it just leads to him being destructive when I wish he would do the other, the other way around. And I think that's just a common theme. And I'm like, can he learn this at this point? Like, I think we can win with him playing the way that he he 
is, but like it would be so much easier if he on nights like this would just pass the ball to the left and he'll get the ball back because now they're in semi-transition. Who knows? He probably gets it back or on, on the other, on the whip around and maybe he can attack and manipulate a defense and get to his comfortable pull-up because like, and probably dribbling twice with his left hand to get there as well. It's just, <laughs> He'll probably be amazing in the next game, but he definitely, he yeah. approaches each game, it seems, with like, I'm motherfucking Jalen Brown, which cannot blame the guy. He's awesome. I love Jalen Brown, but there is this little quirk with him where he, you know, has a, a weekly or bi-weekly bed shitting that we've kind of learned to endure. But he needs to, I think, and obviously I'm not an NBA player. I probably need to adjust the way I'm framing this, but- I feel like he needs to come into each game with a more of an open mind about, okay, I'm not mm. just like number two of the two top tier players who are capable of creating offense on this team anymore. We've got a wide breadth of really talented offensive players who we need to play through and seek advantages, you know, relative to our opponent that night. And so it's not always going to be, it shouldn't always be the same Jalen Brown. Uh, and we see that with Tatum. I think he adjusts his approach regularly, like the 15 rebounds in this game, for example. He, he's capable of adjusting his approach on a game-by-game basis, whereas Jalen is just he's just who he is. And I think if he can get out of that mindset a little bit and open his approach to um, a game-by-game you know, um, difference, then I think we might see more prolonged success from him. What about Al Horford, guys? Are you worried about mm. Al or is, is this the same thing every year where he's just kind of like pedaling away there until we get to the playoffs or are you starting to see uh, a decline that you're concerned about? Go ahead, yeah. He's been right, good. Was gonna- he's been good. What the hell's going on, dude? Like <laughs> Al's been good. He hasn't made threes. That's literally it right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's maybe getting burnt on some switches and stuff. Show me the big men in the NBA that are like covering Maxi on a switch. Like, they don't exist. Like, it's like Bam and Draymond. Maybe. Like, he, he, again, again, the defense, not a problem. Al Horford is still providing competent (laughs) switches onto wing. He's protecting the rim still really effectively. He always makes the right play. He shoots when he should. He's a really great connective piece still. He's still, he's the best screen setter. He's, he's getting guys open to get downhill. He has been fine. And once the threes start to go in, everybody's going to be like, oh, Al's, Al's back. He's fine to me. Maybe he looks a, t- a tick slower, a tick slower. But I, I'm not worried about Al Horford in the slightest. We need to readjust our expectations. Al Horford is a backup center. Mm-hmm. Yes. He is by far the best backup center in the NBA. Like, yeah, he's not 27-year-old Al averaging like 15, 9, and 5 anymore. Like, okay, we all know that. He wasn't that last year either. I don't really see much of a difference from him last year to this year other than, yeah, the threes are just going down right now. But that's okay. He's still defensively. Like, dude, he swatted, uh, who was it in the mini game? He swatted somebody like on a fast break. Like, that was incredible. Edwards, he's, he rejected Cam, uh, Cam Thomas at the Oh, rim it was Cam well. Thomas. Mm-hmm. It, like, yeah. He's been good. He's fine. As far as backup center and what he offers you versatility wise on defense, you can go big. You can play Al at the five alone. Um, yeah, Al is like so far 
like <laughs> from the students problem like what are yeah. we even yeah well i see people like well it's interesting though because we keep saying okay the defense isn't the problem the defense isn't the problem like we know that so i guess well jake keeps saying that at least well but you're right but we're talking about al horford <laughs> yeah. here and his uh i'll say somewhat declining impact on the game because yeah like we need him to hit his threes we need him to hit them mm-hmm. and yeah true he's not and I don't know what else I could add to that. We need him to hit his threes. Well, and he's not well, fucking do you them. think that's? <laughs> do you think that Al not hitting shots is to do with age, or just because he's missing shots right now? Uh, I do think that he's been taking more contested threes than he hasn't been getting the same clean looks that he's been getting, especially last year. I think that part of that, especially yesterday, is he feels like he has to shoot in some like tight clock situations. And again, can we get this man a clean look on the pick and pop? He's setting these beautiful, glorious bone crunching screens. <laughs> And Drew Holiday is either just like looking him off or passing it like two and a half seconds too late. Because, um, yeah, but like, you're right. Look, if the offense is the problem and Al's not hitting threes, and that's like, that's going to have be a problem, especially with the way that the Celtics are constructed on offense. Yeah. Look, just quickly, shout out to John Zanis, a figurehead over at CLNS. <laughs> uh, so thanks for joining us there, John. Uh, I hope, we're, I hope I mean, we're doing you proud with this podcast. On the, on the, I mean, look, because the, the, the comments are all JB is like, he's the lightning rod. Just in general, but especially yesterday. And this is the Jalen Brown experience. Mm-hmm. Like yep. he's going to go for, he would have gone for 50 against the Pacers and the Wizards, but it is the Pacers and the Wizards. But that being said, <laughs> I posted a video of Jalen Brown torching the Sixers like in one of those games where they put up 137 points. They win by 48. Like he has cooked the Sixers like a lot in his career and found success a lot against Tobias Harris and Maxi. Um, he's can't. Get out of his was not that night. Yeah, yeah. last night was not that. And look, I love Jalen. Huge fan. Think he's great. Big he's fan. maddening as hell, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. He is maddening. Yeah. Like it's just like he's. I don't. I don't know, man. He's just like so up and down. But it's it's fine when he's your second or third best offensive player. If he was the best offensive player on a team, I'd be very concerned. But he's not, so we can kind of live with it. Okay, so after sorry, just after game one, we were like. Going into the season, uh, my number one concern was Jalen and his ability, not necessarily to accept his role, but to understand his role. Because I actually do believe that he's bought into the sacrifice and I want to do whatever it takes to help this team wins. I was not sure he like fully understands how to do that, at least yet. Um, and we felt that way after the, f- at the first game because he kind of forces it, like those two disastrous turnovers, and then he tries to save everybody by, and then he overhelps and then closes out on crimes and leads to a four-point play. like. Just yep. keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Lord. Uh, echo everything you guys just said. Nothing to add. Uh, we do have to get to a word from our sponsor, FanDuel. But just one other thing. Problem from this game, and I think this will parlay nicely into long-term problems as well. PP, Peyton Pritchard, problematic oh, again in this game. I think the, the floater is kind of what I see on the inside oh, of my eyelids when I try and sleep after the Sixers game. Is just, that's a good look. You know, he attacked the closeout well. Gets the look that everyone wants in the NBA. Like, that's a good, clean look close to the rim. Uh, he missed it. He's missing everything. I, I don't know the exact stat, so I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing here very inaccurately, but he's hit like one shot in the last four games or two weeks or some ridiculously yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm time. pretty sure I wasn't married the last time Pritchard hit a shot. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it feels I the same may for not me. Have been I've been either. for like seven years. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Can I, I can, yeah. can I defend Pritchard for a yeah, second? I think he needs sure. a little bit of that, so let's hear it. He does. I I 
I don't think he was that bad last night. I think yet again, the shots didn't go down and that's super frustrating, but I thought he looked a lot more confident and aggressive. Like he was like driving. He was making quicker decisions. He was, um, I don't know. Just, he just seemed like had to be playing with a little bit more confidence. And I think like he's going to have a game in the next game or two, maybe this Nets game coming up where he's going to make some shots and it's all going to come together for him because I feel like he's so close, man. I really do. And I know it's maddening to watch him like hit, shoot a floater off the side of the backboard Dude. or like somehow hit the bottom of the rim on a three, which I'm not even sure is possible, but he did it. <laughs> uh, but it's it, it, I really did feel like he did like drive and pass Al open for I think the one three Al hit last night. And it was a great play for Pritchard. So like it's close, man. Right. Right, right. Jake. <laughs> right. Look, to his credit, he's still doing the little things. Like the fact that this apparently six foot two guy, I don't believe I don't know how that's actually what he's listed at, is still impacting the game in other ways. Like he he grabbed a couple of really key rebounds again um yesterday. Like what did he have? He had two offensive rebounds, one of which led to a house of three. And I'm pretty sure it led to a Celtics miss uh, the second time, but it was like in a really crucial part of the game. He's still doing that. It's the shot attempts that still worry me, only getting up two threes. Um, I do think it will come. The problem is like, do we need to, like, do we need to allow it to come? Do we, like, how long do we wait here? That's the question. Uh, maybe, how many more Maybe games? we go back to, Maybe we just go back to like where it's seven games in and we're five and two. It's like, yeah, it's actually, it could be 10 more games. It doesn't really matter because- Pritchard finding it's going to be really valuable for us, like in the back third of the season. Um, even if I'm, but as I'm talking about it, I'm like, does it really matter if we if Pritchard finds it? Because is he is he really playing in the conference finals and the finals? Probably not. And meanwhile, Speed Mahalik is laying in wait there. Uh, let's just get to a quick word from our sponsor, FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GamesenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. And now back to the show. If you'd like to win that bet, bonus bet, <laughs> you go Cowboys money line versus the Giants against whatever his name is, Danny DeVito, Tommy DeVito, whatever the <laughs> Tommy, yeah, whatever DeVito. the made up, whatever the made up <laughs> cute quarterback is playing for the Giants against the Cowboys <laughs> the defense. NPC coming off quarterback. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the money line to get that one done. Love it. Thanks. Thanks, Jake. Uh, I did not have a bet prepared, so I really appreciate the, the, the clutch advice there. All right. So, Spoonie, the poor shooting. 39% last game, 32% from three. Stagnant offense during the middle quarters. Our inability to stretch bigs, rim protectors out of the paint. Tatum being passive. Jalen Brown being Jalen Brown. Peyton Pritchard being Peyton Pritchard. Of all of those things, which are sort of the, the recent issues that we've discussed the last two podcasts, 
Which of those worry you the most in terms of being a long-term issue that sort of becomes part of this team's long-term identity? Um, I, hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily Tatum being too passive that worries me, but I think it's that Tatum not being able to find a way to get to his spots often enough. Um, because like the one knock on Tatum, he's almost like a perfect basketball player is that like he just doesn't have the consistency of other high level top tier superstars. And I think part of it is like it. Yeah. John Zanis in the chat saying the passivity, like it's it. I'm not sure he's like intentionally passive. It's just like he does. He just maybe he's not working hard enough to get to his spot. Maybe that is passivity. Maybe that's (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, But it just seems like he's got to knock out these types of games if we're and and really it's more like he can't have these types of games in the playoffs. Um, I don't really care about uh you know the seventh game of the season against Philly. Uh, but I think like Tatum taking the next step is really kind of the underlying conversation about what we're talking about with him. He needs to take the next step for this team to like probably win a championship, I think. So I don't know if I'm worried so much as I think that's really important. And I've seen it with him basically every other game other than last night. So it's fresh on my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, I think tracking where we've been tracking the Tatum leap (laughs) because like, you know, there is going to be one at some point. Is it this year? Is it next year? When he's entering the prime at age, he's age 26 years, not even 26 yet. It is coming. It has felt like it is here. So far until yesterday, in my opinion, um, I know the Timberwolves game was frustrating, but he wasn't passive. He was, you know, he still, he actually still had a pretty good game, like overall. The post-up and the physicality stuff that we've been clamoring for, for the last several years, we've really seen so far to start the season, finally, like realizing that he's a monster. Like he had that little comment in a, in a, pro, in a post-game press conference. He's like, I'm like 6'9", 225. As kind of like a, a joke, but like, yeah, I'm really fucking big. It's like, yeah. it just doesn't come naturally to him to be really fucking big. Like he sometimes forgets, like n- no one on the Philadelphia side yesterday, do I feel like he shouldn't be able to post up except for Joel Embiid. Like he's he's got the, you know, the advantage on pretty much everyone across the board. And again, it was like, they just didn't go to it really. Like, why did we not, like, they went to it a little bit, but like, not, not something that they went to consistently and not something they went to like as much as they did prior to this game. Like, and it's just, it's not natural. And so this is the first blip of the new bully ball Tatum experience. I do think next game we get back to it, but it's like, you're right, Spoonie. This is, it's not necessarily a skill leap for him. It's, it's the mentality leap um, for him. Yeah. And then. I mean, Eric Weiss has kind of been on this thing and, and John Zanner's kind of mentioned it here, like the front running thing. They've just had a weird entry into the NBA as top three picks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really only experienced like immense success outside yeah. of winning <laughs> a title and um, not really understanding how bad. Like, but, then, but then I'm like, they had that weird season with the COVID with, where they were the seventh seed. They have gotten the life experience of, 
of an NBA veteran at this point. Like they've gone through, you feel like everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it just isn't in their nature. It feels like to really enforce their will all the time. Um, and then again, it was just one game and we're seven games in. So that's got to be uh, the mantra at, at some point. Please. Right? <laughs> oh, I just don't have enough sample size, especially, you know, if we, we slice the season in, in half, like they've been playing much better basketball than they have been bad basketball. But, you know, recency bias is a thing, especially in the world of podcasting. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> passivity is maybe the the one thematic word to, to wrap around all of this, because even in Jalen Brown's case of, of being reckless, as someone mentioned in the chat, like that's a form of passivity on his part and that he he needs to have a, a, a maintained focus to not like just be himself and exhibit his inherent like habitual characteristics on the core. Like he, he, my wife tells me that all <laughs> yeah, the time. Great. Uh, like, hopefully someone picks up on that. Uh, yeah. And for him, I think it's a struggle for him to maintain that focus, right? Like we probably mm-hmm. feel that in our regular daily lives, yes. in our day-to-day jobs, where especially working from home, like you need to, you need to maintain an unnatural level of focus to remain on task. And for Jalen, I think it's probably particularly difficult for him to navigate that. I feel like we've gotten to know him in that sense over the last seven years or so. And then the second and third quarter stagnation really just piggybacks off of both of those things. If we're getting the worst version of Jalen, we're getting an anomalous version of Jason Tatum, then the outcome of that is going to be stagnation. And unfortunately, in this game, that was really active for a prolonged period in the second and third quarter. So again, it's almost like we don't need to do this many podcasts, guys. It's everything ties back to the Jays <laughs> and their behavior on the court, really. So is there anything else, Jake, that jumped out to you as, as a potential long-term issue from what we've seen these last two games? <sighs> I mean, it's just like the expectations of Tatum are so high partly because we need them. We need him to reach certain levels in order for us to win a title. And just like, I'm not sure he's as naturally gifted as the Jokic, Steph. He doesn't have the physical dominance of like a Giannis. Um, But then again, he's just kind of like entering the prime. But like, you know, Steph Curry goes six for 17 yesterday. They they lose to the Nuggets. like there are, there have been lapses across the NBA with pretty much all the the superstars except for Jokic. Uh, he's pretty much the only unassailable guy on night to night basis. Like Luca was a disaster yesterday, absolute disaster. Um, and here he he was could do no wrong for the first five six games of the season. So for, it's just there's just, there's just very few guys where you're getting like night to night dominance from October to June. Something yeah, and and. Oh, no, sorry. go ahead, Spoonie. I, I was going to say, like, the some of the stuff, like the spacing not being right, maybe not, them not looking super connected offensively, that type of stuff, I think it's just going to work itself out over the course of a season because it is really hard to incorporate another high you should star and essentially another point guard who's playing next to a point guard um in seven games like it's just not gonna be perfect it's not gonna be crisp there's just not the continuity that we've had over the past few years with the addition of drew and kp so i i think probably by christmas we'll start to see christmas. things look a little crisp very christmas and <laughs> plant my flag maybe yeah, yeah. santa can I, one, stuff the chimney with a few celtics weird nice. <laughs> one thing i will say i think we can say that the, the answers are on the roster I think previously the answers to fixing the offense may not have been on the roster. I feel very confident that KP is the answer and he has been fantastic 
pretty much across the board offensively was fantastic yesterday. Um, really the only offensive like bright spot really um, outside of Sam Hauser. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the answer is on the roster. Can they, can they find it? Yeah. Well, you just mentioned it, Jake, something that is definitely not a long-term issue. We can now write it off as a small blip, a short-term issue. Sam Hauser. He's back, baby. The house yes. party, house money, all the puns. He's hitting his shots. He's contributing to spacing. He's a reliable what seventh man essentially um he's fantastic never in doubt i don't think uh, any of us ever cast any doubt upon him i definitely did so apologies no, i definitely uh, did it's good to have it back good to have you back samuel hauser um another interesting thing that occurred after the game we've got a clip to run here and then we'll talk about it a little oh, bit yeah. where joe mazula getting into a little bit of a back and forth with gary washburn in the post-game interview i think you, you um you, I was just finished reading a great article that you wrote in 2016 that the Celtics shot too many threes, and they shot 42, and that was seven years ago. And they only shot five more tonight, and they lost 121 to 114, and you blame the offense, but not the defense. So, like, what's your fascination with too much threes for the last seven years? Well, it's been seven years. 2016. It's 2023. I just read it. It was a great article. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But it was like, are the Celtics settling for too many threes? You said that seven years ago. You're ahead of the curve. I am ahead of my time. <laughs> um, Apologies for not leveling oh, the audio on that clip before I uploaded it. <laughs> it was very loud. Uh, I, I have this as a good thing. I just think um, it's uh, there's no consequences from this, right? Like, it's just a bit of fun from the fan perspective after the game cool. to see a bit of a back and forth like that. Um, Jake, you might have a different opinion. What do you think? I, I like it. Because I do, I, I'm, on one hand, I like it from Joe because I feel like Gary's just been going at him for this three-pointer thing, mm-hmm. like, every game. And, like, I think that there was some times where they maybe settled yesterday, but, like, that they need to shoot threes against that defense. And Joe was, like, clearly pissed off with the def- defensive three-second thing with Embiid. Embiid was camped out in the, in the paint. The only way to loosen that thing up is to hit some threes. Um, and they weren't executing on that. Like the Celtics have to shoot a lot of threes. The best offenses in the NBA shoot a lot of threes. Um, that being said, I think Joe could have saved this for a better, better moment. Like I didn't feel like it was the gotcha moment that he was like really like hoping it was going to be. Um, but I think it was like a long time coming between Gary and Gary and Joe mm-hmm. and. Joe's just a competitive motherfucker. He hates losing. Yeah. And like these press conferences, he gets like chirped like this. And he's like, you, he is thinking in his head, Gary, you don't know ball. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know ball. And this is his way of, of doing it. And he's kind of a psycho, but yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe is a complete maniac. He was a maniac as a player in college too. Like super undersized point guard, locked up John Wall in the Elite Eight. No big deal. West Virginia University. So I have a hard time criticizing Joe. Um, just because he is a WVU guy and I'm incredibly biased. This was a little strange. I, yeah. I'm I'm with you, Jake. Like, shouldn't he have busted this out when we made a bunch of threes mm-hmm. and won a close game or yeah, something man. like that? Like if we made like 22 threes and won like 135 to 122 or like 135 to 132. And it's like, why are you obsessed with the threes? Like, shouldn't you be mad about the defense? We gave up 130. Yeah. I don't know. It just was like a, a strange exchange, but also like Gary has been coming at Joe super hard. Um, so like I, I don't. I, I it's pretty inconsequential. <laughs> exactly. I think it's just kind of funny. Yeah. How about this spin yeah. zone? Spin zone. 
the players also don't like talking to the media. And so they see Joe like going back at Gary and the media and they're like, yeah, Joe sticking up for us. We hate the media all together, all for one. <laughs> Galvanizes yeah. the team. There we go. The Galvanize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, Stretch. I just thought it was interesting and unusual. Like we don't often see a, a sort of a clap back to that degree. So um, I don't know. I'm, 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 we're here for entertainment and it was entertaining, <laughs> if nothing else. So um, we'll see. I bet Joe probably regrets it. Probably. He probably. He probably, he probably he, I feel probably. like he's trying to be like this new, like chill, like I'm not crazy guy, like with the JJ Reddick podcast and stuff. And he's couldn't help himself because he's that, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like and like Jalen, he just like, he let go of his, his grasp on his focus just for a second there. And it was all he needed. <laughs> now we'll end on this we'll preview the ist we're calling it as we become more familiar with the concept the in-season tournament friday 7 30 p.m at home <laughs> against the guy which actually starts a three-game homestand finally for the celtics i feel like we're really indeed of just like a solid stint of games in td garden we've had so many road games so far this season yeah five yeah it's crazy so uh in our group if you need a reminder are the nets who we play on friday night 7 30 p.m the raptors the bulls and the magic who probably will Win it all, at least as far as we're concerned. Um, well, they'll definitely beat us. That's for sure. And I just saw Grandy had a tweet here. Okay, so tomorrow, the Nets are getting healthier as they arrive in Boston for the in-season tournament opener tomorrow. Cam Johnson, who hasn't played since opening night, he returns. Ben yeah. Simmons, who sat out Wednesday, has been upgraded to questionable. Um, his availability, not his <laughs> shot selection. Nice work, Grandy. <laughs> uh, so, here's the court. If anyone has um, a short memory, it's not parquet. It's... Not even colourful, really, but I think maybe the sort of the deadened green might actually make for a better contrast from a, a TV watching perspective. Um, yeah. I don't know, guys, like thoughts, feelings Look, <laughs> going into this well, one? I, I spoke about this on the playback stream yesterday. I love the the, the in-season tournament idea, at least to try it. Like, you know, you're going to get all these teams together. They're going to get out of the group stages. In theory, the good teams will get out and then you're just going to get more good games. Like how many nights on league pass you have like good team versus bad team or whatever. In theory, the Celtics are going to like match up against the Lake. Oh, the Lake has been bad. The Warriors or who knows the Nuggets or whatever. Like you could get like these different matchups. You're not going to get as often as you would normally. And if it's like do or die elimination semifinals or finals in Vegas, like it's a, I think it'd be cool. Some of the courts I like and uh, some of the courts, it takes me like half a quarter to like even understand what's happening. But uh, yeah, Spooty doesn't like the court, clearly. I I I love the in-season tournament, Jake. You completely like you convinced me when we were on Playback last night about that. Yes. Like these teams are actually going to care more. Mm. Um, and, and it's, they're going to care in sort of a playoff sense and it's teams you won't see playing in the playoffs unless they meet up in the finals. And I think that's like really cool. Do you guys ever watch Oregon university of Oregon games? Because their court is that color and it is like so distractingly hard to watch <laughs> really? them play. The ducks? Like, dude, I, I, yeah, but they have like trees and shit on it. So it might, this might not be as bad, but like the full color courts like that, I just like, as a viewer, not a big fan, kind of <laughs> hate them. Uh, like, just throw the trophy on there, man. That's all yeah. we need to know to mark it as like a, as a, a tournament game. Like, we don't need a full green. Like, some of these are like horrendous. So like, 
Good thing I'm not colorblind, dude. Like, because you yeah. couldn't watch this game. Like, you're out. If you're a color, no, colorblind just fan, crazy you're out. Go find something else to do during the in-season tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're listening my to poor Grandy. Uncle Gary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're listening to Grandy if you're colorblind. It's like the heat yeah. court. They're just like the crazy red. It's whatever. Yeah. I think it made me colorblind watching the heat <laughs> on that court, dude. Just with all of our issues the last couple of games, I can't help but just view this as a regular season game that we need to win, which like in a vacuum, it, it is still. And it, we're playing- Oh, a must win? A Ben, a ben Vallis must win? <laughs> well, oh, wow. is that what, is this our eighth this <laughs> game? Eight? I mean, you, you can make a case for every game being a must win. Like if you, if you think about it, we've just lost two. Now we're going to play a significantly worse team than those last two teams that we just lost to. We're going to be back at home finally. And- yeah, whatever. It's an in-season tournament game that's inconsequential. But it's a must win in that like if we continue our skid and lose to a, a lesser team now at home, then that's really problematic. I think we we can make excuses for losing the last two games. I don't think we can make an excuse for le- losing this upcoming game. So in that sense, I'm giving it the Ben Vallis must win stamp. It's a must win <laughs> game. We have to win. Um, we mentioned the homestand. So, the, the other upcoming games at home are against the Raptors, who have been good. Scotty Barnes has been uh, quite good as yep. well. And then the Knicks, who are, um, you know, an upper tier team as well. And then we're back in Philly on Wednesday the 15th. Straight yeah, back so there. Weird. A shot at redemption, guys. Yeah, that's, that's gonna, that's, uh, that feels way more like a must win to me than the, the Nets game. Granted, I would love to go to Vegas. Um, not me personally, but- uh, <laughs> The, the Celtics for the sudden death games. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun little stretch here. I, I, I hate the back-to-backs as a concept. I wonder if the Raptors also have a back-to-back. Um, do they play tomorrow? No. Damn it. So that, that, that's that second out of a back-to-back. Um, they're actually pretty good on back-to-backs last year, though. So. Mm. And we'll finally get, finally get a look at how Joe manages the rotation on a back-to-back as far as, like, Al and even Porzingis is concerned. So that'll Pritchard be better freaking play well in the next couple of games because Al's not going to play in the second out of the back-to-back and then Sfee's going to come in and go, like, six for nine and have, like, a reverse jam, and that's going to be it for him. I'm okay with that. As much as I believe in Pritchard, I don't give a shit. Yeah. If Sfee balls out, <laughs> yeah. like, see a Payton, like, you can get cut for all I care, dude. <laughs> all right. Yeah, he's sort of crazy idea for like a you trade for someone uh, to get the six million like TPE thing, and then after two months you can trade them again, and then you'll be able to aggregate that salary plus the Pritchard salary for Daniel Tice or someone else that makes like nine million, like a TJ McConnell or an Alex Caruso. Um, clock's ticking. <laughs> Clock's ticking. All right. Well, uh, no better place to leave it than uh, some some PP trade talk. So we'll leave it there. Uh, bring on the win streak for the Celtics. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, all of those great things. On Spotify, there's a feature now where you can leave comments on the podcast. So please leave us a comment there. And we'll get back to you on the next show. Jake, Spoonie, love your work, guys. Until next time, go Celtics. Go Celtics.